One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's almost five, and Kenny, he's one. And I have three kids. Tony is 10 and Libby and Nate are seven. They are so adorable, aren't they, Katie? 24-7 adorableness. It's true. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Do you want to go first? Sure. Mine might involve me making some big booming noises, which might not translate very well on the podcast, but we'll see what I can do. Okay. So you remember how last week I was talking about the joy of competition shows to watch with the family, a la yes. The Floor is Lava? So we finished all of The Floor is Lava. We've moved on to Ultimate Beastmaster. <laughs> and we're now at this crucial turning point where Kevin and I need to understand, need to decide as a family if we're just going to be one of those houses where it's okay to climb all over everything, because that is where we are rapidly headed with all the obstacle course shows we've been watching. And we recently got an end table for our, our couch that is just a giant drum. Oh, cool. Uh, It's a lot of fun, and the kids love playing with it. I do not find it annoying yet. Usually, it sounds like this, but a but a but a but a but a but a bum and they, like, play it until they get sick of it, and then they run away and they do something else. Um, So I can kind of tell, like, where they're at and what they're doing by that, like, nice sound that they have going on. But lately, it's been, like, just a resounding boom. Because Jay is like <laughs> doing amateur parkour off the couch, and he decides oh, is he to like land onto it. Yes. <laughs> um. So it's that's a little worrisome. I mean, it's fun that he gets so enthusiastic about it, but uh, it is definitely a different soundscape in our house these days. Where did you find this drum slash table? Uh, one of our babysitters does estate sales. Oh, I love estate sales. And in that like brief weirdo window when like, it was like two weeks where like cases were down pretty low in Florida and like everything was opening back up. She did an estate sale and let us have like a peek beforehand. So we got to go in before everyone else. And that's, that's where we got the drum table. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's my that's my noisy story for the day. How about your kids? What have they been up to? Well, this is a true pandemic quarantine story. So the Minnesota Zoo is not open for business as usual, but they were like running out of money, super out of money. So they are doing like a, it's called a Beastly Boulevard. So you can pay $50 to drive through the zoo 
and see some animals. And it's not a zoo that's designed for driving through. Right. We did it. There were like 10 million cars lined up to get in at 11 a.m. on a Monday as we were. And it was like our main activity for the day. And we it's like basically driving on like service roads, I think, Mm -hmm. in the zoo. And it's pretty short. And you see like a few animals and it was really disappointing and when it was over Libby just burst into tears and she the reason she said she was crying was because we only saw prey we didn't get to see any predators she's a fan of the big cats she loves the big cats there were no big cats on the beastly boulevard and it was like the funniest, saddest car ride ever. Oh, I am so sorry to hear that. Yeah, but it was still adorable. <laughs> um, so I don't really recommend the Beastly Boulevard, but <laughs> if you have nothing going on this summer, fellow Minneapolis residents, I mean, it's a good cause. Yeah. $50 to the zoo. We definitely want to do what we can to keep our institutions up and running during this time. Yeah. Or not even running, just like up so they can be running eventually. Oh, I'll get off my soapbox for now. I'm sure I'll get back on. Should we move on? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You picked out a really good screen time in the news article. Also pandemic and quarantine, quarantine. Quarant times related. <laughs> times I like it <laughs> from parents.com, and it's like a advice type article answered by a PhD, Emily Edlin, and the title is "How Do I Get Me Time Without Relying on Screen Time?" And it's from somebody writing in who like has a kid who just needs constant parent engagement, and this mom is like. I have chores. I'd like to also get a little time for myself, but she doesn't want her to make her a TV junkie. And the answer was nice and reassuring, basically saying screen time is different than when we were kids. Kids are getting a lot of screen time. There's a pandemic. Nobody really knows what's happening. Don't worry too much about it. A little bit of a show. And she mentions that like things geared towards preschoolers or toddlers are pretty short. So like a 20 minute cartoon is not going to make your child brain damaged, basically. But she didn't give any examples. Emily, you should have called us. Yeah, she said Dora the Explorer. Oh, that's true is what she introduced her toddler to at the end. But yeah, we've got lots of recommendations. (laughs) It reminded me this article about how hard it is when your kids are really young because you cannot leave them alone at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm past that point. My kids are 7, 7, and 10, so they are can play independently for a while. Yeah. But you're, you're right in that toddler baby Mm -hmm. stage where you can't get anything done unless Kenny is I don't know snapping 
Well, I am a sucker for advertising, as you know. So, like, mm-hmm. I keep buying toys that are supposed to be, like, super engaging. Like, the mythical toy that, like, just he can sit with for hours and be learning fine motor skills, but also not bothering me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, spoiler alert, parents, those toys don't really exist. Um, except for, like the rare child that is able to devote that kind of attention to something at 18 months or two years old. Um, So yeah, we definitely do use screen time for definitely cooking dinner. Like, I feel like there's no way that Kevin can wrangle both boys and like reliably keep them both out of the kitchen where hot stuff is happening. Yeah. Without the TV during that time. But making dinner isn't me time, No, you're totally right. You're totally right. And we are guilty of... I shouldn't even say it that way. We use screens for that purpose. And I've come to embrace it. It's fine. My kids are smart. They seem to be developing normally. And sometimes I think there can be value in it. Like, you know, teaching your kid how to vault six feet through the air and land nimbly (laughs) on the arm of a chair. Yeah. I guess I would consider this podcast me time at the moment. My kids are on screens right now because otherwise they wouldn't be like, they can play independently, but they would not be quiet enough. Right. Right. To facilitate recording a podcast. Jay is in full-on narration mode, so he will play independently, but approximately every 30 seconds, he has to come up to me and just tell me what he's been doing, (laughs) (laughs) and or just like ask me to watch. So it's not like he needs me to be actively playing with him, but he still needs pretty active input. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. Uh, But I really like this article, too, because... I think any anything that can encourage parents to cut themselves a little slack, remind us that we are humans too, is is a good. Yeah, totally. Uh, do we have any follow up from our last episode, Deborah? Did you watch any more number blocks? I did watch nineteen per your recommendation, and I watched it by myself. <laughs> It was really cute, you guys. Um, if you haven't yet watched Number Blocks, definitely make time for Number 19. <laughs> number 19 had a really cute accent, and it was just like prime number problems. Mm-hmm. And I love how 19 embraced that she can make crazy shapes on her own instead of symmetrical shapes. Just general news. Did you watch Hamilton? Of course we watched Hamilton. Guys, we are recording this episode the week after the 4th of July. It'll be a couple weeks before you guys get it, but Hamilton has now been out for, what, five days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We watched it. I was concerned that Disney Plus would be too overwhelmed and it wouldn't work, but it worked. We watched it on July 3rd. It was super good. Yeah. Did the kids like it? They loved it. Yay. Yeah. Well, actually... <laughs> My twins loved it. Tony bailed halfway through. It's a long show. It is long. I am also guilty of way preferring the first act to the second act, too. So I feel you, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So should we talk about 
what we watched. Let's do it, guys. Today we're talking about the new iteration of the Babysitters Club, which just debuted on Netflix on July third, twenty twenty. So as we're recording this, that was just a few days ago, and it is an adaptation of a beloved book series, the first installment of which was published in 1986. It's had a couple of previous TV and movie adaptations. I think the most prominent one was a 1995 movie, and then there was a brief 1990 television show that got far less attention, I think. The new series is produced by Ashley Glazer, who is also responsible for Glow on Netflix. Eight of the ten episodes were directed by Lucia or Lucia, apologies again for pronunciations, and Yellow, who worked on Broad City. So these are two high-profile women, and there are tons of women in the top roles in this show, which I think, as we'll get to later, really shows in the final product. So we picked this because, as you all know, I passionately loved number blocks, and I was a little worried that I wouldn't be able to find something I would like as much, but as soon as I read even one review of this new adaptation of The Babysitter's Club, I had a glimmer of hope, and I was so excited to watch it and talk about it with you, Deborah. I was also squarely in The Babysitter's Club demo growing up. Were you? Yes, I was a super fan. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be good. (laughs) I watched that um, 1990s show. I tried to. At the time, like, you could only get it, like, episode by episode on VHS tapes that were really hard to come by. I don't know where it actually aired. Did you see it actually on TV? I'm certain I saw it on TV and, like, made it was appointment television for me. I don't remember the details, like what channel it was on or anything, but I remember I was like there for it and was super disappointed by it because the characters didn't look like they looked in my head from reading the books. Uh Uh-huh. Or on the book covers. Right. So what did we watch? We watched episode one, Christy's Big Idea. We watched episode four, Marianne Saves the Day, and episode eight, Boy Crazy Stacy. So as usual, we'll go through the episodes really quickly one by one and then, well, maybe less quickly this time. I feel like there's a lot to unpack episode by episode, but then we'll move on to our more general thoughts. So Deborah, do you want to take us through Christy's big idea? Sure. So it's Christy's big idea, just like the book, but updated with current technology, current cultural references, and more current fashion. So I found it was pretty true to the book and the origin story Babysitter's Club super fans or even not so super fans will be familiar with. Yeah, it was a really, I thought, pretty faithful adaptation, certainly of the big points that I remembered from the first book. Yes, and the characters all fit the roles that they are supposed to play. Like Claudia's the creative, cool one, and Marianne's the shy, conservative one with the strict dad, and Christy's the bossy one. Speaking of updated fashions, what's with Christy's <laughs> turtlenecks? Um, I think they said in a later episode that she's the normcore one. <laughs> but is that even a norm core thing? Who is wearing turtlenecks? I don't really know what kids these days are wearing. That's fair. Besides like really high-waisted jeans. 
I mean, Christy was always supposed to be the sporty one, so I guess I would see her wearing a lot of spirit jerseys. I don't know why they landed on turtlenecks. It's weird to me. Okay, that's a little nitpicky. Can we just talk about Alicia Silverstone? Oh, please, yes. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited to see Alicia Silverstone. I'm a super fan ever since Clueless came out, and I think she and I are like just about the same age. Mm-hmm. And I found it really insulting that she is the mom to teenagers <laughs> in this episode, in this series. And I know that's how Hollywood works. Mm-hmm. Like, it's possible she's old enough to be the mom of teenagers, but it's unlikely right. in her socioeconomic world. So, I don't know. I just hate it when they cast, like, women who are kind of too young to be in that role Mm -hmm. but I feel like a lot of actors and actresses in Hollywood that have not had that much success after an iconic role as a child or as a teen I kind of feel like they've been lining up to play these I'm the parent now roles yeah that's true that's true and this is a total diversion but remember when she was in the news and she had a baby and she was like feeding the baby like a bird. Like she was chewing up the food. That was kind of wacky. That was super disgusting. Because <laughs> it was right around the same time that Maya Bialik came out with like her child rearing books that were like, go She's sleeping an forever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it just kind of blended into that landscape of, whoa, ladies, let's take a step back. right okay sorry for that tangent oh no we'll have way more because I also want to talk about my love for Mark Feuerstein that plays Brewster the love interest for Alicia Silverstone oh my gosh that actor (laughs) can he please be in everything (laughs) okay so Marianne saves the day so this episode was really hard to distill into a single sentence I'll do my best So we've established that Marianne is the shy one, right? Mm -hmm. So Marianne struggles with her crippling shyness and immature image, but learns to use her voice when advocating for a young trans client. It felt like they were making a statement with this one. A statement that I thought was great, made me cry. This was the one that I cried at. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What was the original Marianne Saves the Day about? Was it just a hospital trip that she had to do? I have the books right here in my room. Should I get it? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Here it is. Oh. (laughs) And she's like taking the temperature. Do you see the thermometer in the picture? Yeah, it looks like it was a hospital trip. Yep. It's a different situation in this episode. They've updated it. So Marianne has a climactic interaction with the doctor and nurse explaining to them that they need to treat Bailey like a human being and not just look at the chart and see that biologically he might be a boy. They need to treat their patient as their patient wants to be treated. And it was a great moment of showing Marianne standing up. It was a great moment of showing the humanity of the trans community. It was, I just thought, really lovely. Mm -hmm. It was really good. I didn't cry you cried oh yeah I cried (laughs) no I did I 
Pride. Marianne and uh, her father also have a really complicated relationship because her mother passed away and his father is a little unsure about how to interact with his soon-to-be teenage daughter. The father is played by Mark Evan Jackson, who I recognize the most from his role as a demon on The Good Place. So it was kind of weird to see him being a real human being, but I just thought their interactions, the tentativeness with which they approached each other was so honest and different, a different way to see a father-daughter interaction on television. I like that quite a bit, too. Mm-hmm. This is the one where Marianne meets Don. Oh, yeah. So Don has moved from California to Stony Brook, and she makes these cracks about being from California because she has, like, a kale juice and salad for lunch or something she's eating with chopsticks. And she takes Marianne to like a Wiccan celebration Mm -hmm. ceremony. And I'm just like back in the day, California definitely had that like new agey reputation, but does it still, does that hold up? That's a legitimate question. I mean, to me, the, oh, this is just California-iness of it. She addressed explicitly about the food, but I kind of got the feeling like the Wiccan ceremony was more an idiosyncrasy of her family because Mm -hmm. the solstice circle was being led by her aunt who is from, is it still Connecticut or did they move it somewhere else? I think they're in Connecticut. Okay. Was being led by her aunt who is from Connecticut. So I guess maybe I just glossed over in my brain if they did make explicit mention of the uh, new aginess relating to being from California. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I feel like it still does kind of have that reputation for the rest of the country. Okay. My other question is, it's so interesting now to be watching this as a parent Mm -hmm. from that perspective. Like when I read the books, I was just reading it from a kid perspective, like the babysitter perspective. But what would you do if you had a sitter call 911 and have your child rush to the hospital for a fever? Didn't she say the fever was over 104 degrees? Yeah, but like, wouldn't you at least want the babysitter to try Tylenol first? That's a good point. Which Or a cool bath. Which is, I'm sure, something we will address, and maybe we should just get it out in the open now. We live in a fundamentally different world from the world when Anna and Martin first wrote these books. These girls are supposed to be 12 years old. They mm-hmm. explicitly say what? It's the summer before seventh grade. Yeah. That's really young for a modern babysitter. I do not know another mother that employs babysitters that young who aren't members of her direct family. Do you? Mm-hmm. I had a pretty young babysitter when Libby and Nate were babies and she was more like a mother's helper. Mm-hmm. Like she would come over and help out when I was home. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I never really left the house or the property when she was there. Exactly. And like, is your average 12 year old even allowed to like self administer medications? No, like, like they're not getting themselves Tylenol when they have a headache. They're probably asking their parents. So like, Mm -hmm. I can see not knowing that that was a solution, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're 12 years old. They start this club together. 
And the only experience they have is that Christy and Marianne have watched Christy's younger brother. Right. Again, as a parent, would you hire a 12-year-old with that resume to watch your kids? I would want them to have at least taken the Red Cross babysitter certification class, which is like a thing that you can take through community education. Yeah. You're right. Maybe they should have added that as a plot point because that was the big glaring, you know, everything that they've done to update and modernize. For the most part, I applaud. I think it's great. Everything looks great. The characters are great. I'll stop Mm -hmm. saying great. But this seems like a fundamental stumbling block to modernizing the show that they just conveniently ignored. Right. We actually have a listener and a friend who follows the actress I don't even know that she's an actress this may have been her first acting role that plays Bailey the trans girl in the episode so she follows that actress closely on social media and she just had a few things to say so I'm gonna just pause for a second so we can play a little bit of her voice message here Hi, this is Carrie Katz. As a child of the 80s, I was really excited to see a new reboot of The Babysitter's Club on Netflix. I especially enjoyed episode number four, Marianne Saves the Day. When I was watching the episode, I recognized the actress playing Bailey as Kai Shapley. I've been very familiar with Kai Shapley and her mother Kim for several years now. Beginning in 2017, I believe, Kai and Kimberly fought very hard against the quote-unquote bathroom laws. Having a trans child has actually transformed Kimberly Shapley. She was a very conservative Christian. However, pretty much as soon as Kai could speak, she let everyone know that she is a girl. and. At first, this didn't sit well with Kimberly. Kimberly did a lot of soul-searching and studying on her own and realized that she needed to love the child that she had, Kai. And you can read a lot more about this journey on blogs that Kimberly has shared. So with this fierce mama bear doing everything that she could to get Kai her passport. Katie here, Babysitter's Club Films in Vancouver. She was able to play a trans character. There's just no words. There's so many different emotions about being represented. And this production company that's making the Babysitter's Club, making sure to cast a trans person as a trans character is so empowering to everyone. So as the episode goes on, Marianne finds out that Kai is transgender. And when Marianne is speaking with Dawn about this, I think how Dawn explains transgender is the outsides matching the insides is so simple and such a concise way to explain transgendered persons to teens, and children. Ultimately, I feel like this episode wasn't just an episode introducing the ideas of gay and transgender to 
younger audiences. To me, it was about advocacy for yourself and for others who aren't or don't know how to advocate for themselves. I am looking forward to seeing how and what this series continues to do to broaden the horizons of children and young teens. Carrie, thank you so much for your thoughtful commentary. I think all we can say is that we heartily agree with you. We loved the representation and the inclusivity present in this episode, and it really contributed a lot to how much we ended up liking the series. Thank you again. Let's move on to Boy Crazy Stacy. All right. So in this episode, Marianne watches the Pike kids at the beach for a week while Stacy tries to flirt with a cute lifeguard. Now, this is something I thought was weird as a child reading these books, and I still think is weird as an adult. The Pike family has like a lot of kids. Six or seven? Yeah. And they're hiring two babysitters, which, yes, I would hire two babysitters for that number of kids. I would maybe hire more babysitters than that. But like to go on a week-long vacation with them, I just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> would you would you feel comfortable leaving your kids with two 12-year-olds for a week's vacation, like away from the, your home, their homes? Not on the beach. I felt like that was really unsafe, especially because Stacy is like making gaga eyes at the lifeguard, not watching the kids at all. And then the other kids buried Marianne in the sand and she couldn't get out. And so then where were the kids that parents were sleeping in? Where were the kids? Exactly. Some of them were really little. Although I did love that moment when Marianne was like having lunch with all of them and some of them started like throwing food around and you could just see it in her face. She was like, I just have to let this happen. Like there's, I am not in control. (laughs) Yeah. Marianne, I feel you. I feel that daily. The whole plot trope of parents taking babysitters on long vacations was used a lot in the Babysitter's Club franchise, and it made for some really good books. I don't know if you were a super special reader or if you just stuck to the the original books, but I loved the super specials. Oh, no, I read all the super specials. Mm The one where they went on the cruise and then went to Disney World. (laughs) Yeah. That was my fave. Who's taking their teenage babysitters on cruises? Are you suggesting that's implausible because of their age? Because weren't you going to take a babysitter on a flight with you? I was, yeah. And it seemed crazy. It seemed like the most extravagant thing I could do. Oh, okay. I don't think it seems crazy. I have never done it, but... um... I know like several families who have au pairs Mm -hmm. and they take the au pair on vacation. Which maybe I should get out of my mind that mindset because it would be a lot easier to bring a babysitter with me on vacations. I think it's a great idea because you could like go out to dinner just you and Kevin Mm -hmm. to like a non-family friendly restaurant and not worry about anything. I applaud the idea. I would love to do it more. I'm sure it's just my internalized mom guilt that is like Mm -hmm. I shouldn't need this extra help on vacation or like my internalized frugality that's Mm -hmm. like oh this is not an absolutely necessary expense what am I doing this for essentially I have a lot of issues is my point so good on the pikes that they can afford two 12 year olds to 
take on this vacation, this beach vacation? They probably paid them like sixty dollars. <laughs> and for they got, the trip. Not they got one day. night off. That was their only <laughs> time off. <laughs> what did you think about Stacy? Were you cringing as much for her as I was? I am super uncomfortable with embarrassment television. Like anytime I see someone embarking on an embarrassing situation, I just want to like walk away until it's over. And this really was quite embarrassing. Yeah, she was really pathetic. Really pathetic. But to an unbelievable degree. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But then she um it was so clear that her character just like really wants to be in a relationship because then at the end when the cute Canadian kid gives her the seashell book, she's like, Oh, how are we gonna get through immigration? <laughs> When we get married. And he was not even like a factor. He had not even registered on her radar until he showed some interest in her. I don't know. Did you have that phase as a kid? Well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Of course. It was very true to life and adorable, but also 1000% cringeworthy. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that we are both fans of this concept since we... So liked Babysitter's Club growing up. Did you read all the like side series? Because in addition to just Babysitter's Club original, we mentioned the super specials, which were like bigger books that came from multiple sitters perspectives. But then there were also the Babysitter's Club mysteries. There was a whole series for slightly younger kids called Babysitter Little Sisters. Did you explore any of those? I had kind of outgrown it by the time the Little Sister books came out, and mm-hmm. so I didn't read those. By that time, I had no time for Babysitter's Club. I was all Sweet Valley High. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, like, the Christopher Pike books. How about you? I think I can probably trace my love of mysteries. Like, the through line probably went Boxcar Children, Babysitter's Club Mysteries, and Mm. you can follow that through to today. So the big question is, were you a Christy, a Marianne, a Stacy, or a Claudia? That's such a good question. I think, I mean, I really wish I was like a Claudia or even a Dawn, but I think I was a Christy. (laughs) How about you? Oh, I was a Marianne. I'm a Marianne then and a Marianne now. Okay. (laughs) Who do you think the corollary is for the Sex and the City gals? Oh. Hmm. Is Marianne a Charlotte? Yeah. Are you more of a Charlotte, I think? Yeah. Marianne's a Charlotte. Stacy is the, is a Samantha, I guess. Yeah. Christy must be Miranda, which means Claudia is Carrie. Carrie sense it's not a perfect one-to-one but (laughs) do you think this needed another reboot I am here for it I think it's great have you seen okay so my kids like graphic novels so much there are babysitters club graphic novels I have seen them I've actually bought them as gifts for uh my friends kids who are older but yes I know they're really popular Yeah, so I think for the kids who are familiar with those, I think this is great. Babysitter's Club reboots forever, especially when they're well done like this. 
And it's been so long. It's not as if this is a property that's just been rebooted and rebooted and rebooted and we've seen it a million times. Like we said, the last reboot was 1995. So I think it was about time. I do wish Mm -hmm. that they had kind of addressed, like I said, the fundamental difference between the world today and the world then in that parents have gone a little bit crazier about sheltering their precious babies and Mm -hmm. would maybe be a little hesitant to just entrust their care to 12 year olds they learned about via a homemade flyer Mm -hmm. also i noticed that christy in christy's big idea she's a latchkey kid like those still exist i know do they really in real life probably not i don't know i mean i not that i think it's a bad thing but again I just think today's parenting environment is so much more claustrophobic than it was then that the things that they chose to keep the same were a little surprising Mm -hmm. so we already talked about Alicia Silverstone and my love Mark Feuerstein but can we talk about where where you love Mark Feuerstein from did you watch Good Morning Miami no I will 100% tell you why I love him Katie, you have to watch Good Morning Miami. Was I, I I have never even heard of this television show. If you like this actor, you are going to love it. Okay, where can I stream it? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm looking into it. I'm writing it down right now. So there's this awesome... Awesome is not even the right word. Have you ever seen the movie In Her Shoes? Oh, yes. Yep. All right. Is that... Diaz. That is the root of my love for him. Yes, it's a Cameron Diaz, Tony Collette movie in which he plays like the sensitive love interest who sees this woman's beauty despite all of her insecurities. I mean, really, it's like freaking Katie Catnip right there. And it's a, it's a Jennifer Wiener book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, based on a Jennifer Wiener yeah. book. I actually heard an interview with her fairly recently because she has a new book out this summer I believe uh in which she was saying how disappointed she was in that adaptation and it made me kind of sad oh let's talk about the kids because the one big thing that we have not addressed yet is that they did some switching up of the races from the original books because in the original books Claudia was the only person of color in the cast or in the main group until we got to Jesse of course junior babysitter Mm -hmm. much loved But in this version, both Marianne and Dawn are played by actresses of color, and I thought that was a really great updating. What did you think? For sure. I liked that a lot. You know, I liked um, Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Marianne's dad. Mm -hmm. But, like, why isn't Marianne's dad black? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, the parents could be a little more updated, too. I did, though, in Marianne's interaction with her dad in that episode, Marianne Saves the Day, there was an instance where she was saying, I hate wearing my hair in braids. They make me look like a baby. And he said, look, braids were all your mother taught me how to do. And I think that that is a struggle that a lot of mixed race couples have because Mm -hmm. white people don't have any clue how to how to do hair <laughs> yeah true um so that was maybe a little nod to the fact that their relationship is extra awkward because he can't understand this whole half of her 
experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought the casting was so well done. I loved every single babysitter club member. I thought that they played the roles really well. Like I had really high expectations and these characters, like they were like pretty real to me. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that they were really good, really, really good. You know, it's been a while since we've watched a live action show that is aimed at sort of this young tween demographic. So maybe I'm speaking from a place of not much experience, but it was so lacking in the grading aspects of those shows. I didn't feel like it was super overacted. It felt very true to life. And I just appreciated that so much as a contrast to a lot of the other stuff we've seen. Yeah, it had kind of more of like a Gilmore Girls feel to it. Mm-hmm. That type of show rather than because like the Disney stuff is like so over the top. Right. Like the Disney movies. This was more of a Gilmore Girls aesthetic. Yeah, I feel like it was more respectful to the characters, but also to its audience. Like, Mm -hmm. these look like and feel like real girls that you could know. Totally. Were you able to compare this to any shows for grownups? I think that the Babysitter's Club started my lifelong love for shows or movies with, like, an ensemble women cast cast of women like sex in the city like girls um golden girls you could say golden girls <laughs> i was gonna say that movie with goldie hawn where they all play like diane keaton is in it they're all like ex-wives oh the first wives club yeah oh, like just love I, it yes like if there's a movie where there's like four women who all have distinct personalities That's what I want to be watching. Okay, so talk to me about that, though. Is it realistic that you have, like, your closest friend group and it's all made up of people who are so fundamentally different? No, it's not realistic. It's just a (laughs) Hollywood literary thing, I think. (laughs) Were you able to to compare it to any grown-up movies or shows? I mean, my first go-to was Sex in the City. I just feel like that's what uh, women of our generation have been trained to look at as the, like, ur-text for mm-hmm. a show about female friendship. <laughs> Did you do any casting of the gritty HBO reboot? This was hard because I thought the casting was so perfect, except for maybe the diversity of the parents. Um, So I went in a different direction. I would love to see a show about a dog sitter's club. Okay. And I would like it to be like a reality show with, you know how in Hollywood there are like assistants. Yeah, PAs. Yeah. A lot of PAs. And then it would just show the trials and tribulations of sitting for celebrity dogs I'd watch it it'd be a little bit like you'd get to see the inside of their homes like a holly like a MTV Cribs Mm -hmm. type show and then also how poorly behaved celebrity pets are because I bet they're spoiled as hell Uh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh that sounds good I like it 
yeah, I too ran into the typical problem when we try to recast shows with young actors just because don't know a ton of up and coming young actors. I did some idle Googling and beyond seeing that like every list of up and coming actors under 20 is just so white. So, 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 so white. Yes. So the only like really serious young actor I could think of who's been doing good stuff lately is uh, Daphne Keene, who is currently playing Lyra in the new adaptation of His Dark Materials. Oh, okay. So she's very good and I thought could bring some good gravity to a character like, (laughs) obviously I'm going to say Marianne because she's my favorite. Uh, But as far as a a gritty HBO take on it, I would like to see like a David Simon super depressing deep dive into like <laughs> the problems of being a young person who's in charge of your other your community's other young people because of systemic economic inequality like the parents all have to work at these super low wage jobs so they can't afford childcare that's not other super young kids and you just have a level of responsibility for these children that is a lot to be expected of someone so young I think that could be a nice, depressing, David Simon-esque take on the Babysitter's Club. It would probably win an Emmy. Katie, that's a good idea. (laughs) All right, I'm writing up the spec script now. (laughs) (laughs) So we were immersed in the Babysitter's Club as kids. Do you think it was better when we were kids? I think that the books are better than the graphic novels. So yes, it was better when we were kids. We had the books and we had our imaginations. (laughs) I agree. But I wish this show a long, long life where they get to adapt all the different books. And maybe, you know, six years from now, we can sit down and say, you know, it's equivalent. We have this wonderful document to young childhood now that is equivalent to what we had when we were kids but Mm -hmm. until I see the filmed version of that Disney cruise I uh, don't know if I'm gonna feel that way (laughs) (laughs) would you ever watch this alone voluntarily I would Mm, same yeah because I would (laughs) want to revisit the specific books that I liked the most Mm -hmm. yep definitely 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids Yeah, I think it's good, especially with seeing the episode four with the transgender character and how that was so done so well. I think this is great for kids. And I think, like we were saying earlier, it can speak to their experience in a way that's a little bit more true than a lot of the other content that's out there for them. And Mm -hmm. that's coming from the perspective of someone who does not have kids that old yet. So check back with me in a few years, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Ratings? Five stars. Five stars. Deborah, my heart is so happy being able to do two five-star episodes in a row. It's like, ugh, just this incredible weight of all this doom and gloom has been lifted off my shoulders. I might just smile for the rest of the day. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Don't listen to any news reports. I know. I'll just be in Babysitter's Club land for the rest of the day. (laughs) If you need me, I'll be in Stony Brook. (laughs) 
thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. And you can find us on Facebook to continue the conversation at facebook.com slash myscreentime2. That's also where you'll find out what we're covering in our next episode if you want to watch along with us. Tweet us with show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments at at myscreentime2. Email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Bye.